This is the Leadership Lowdown. Thanks for tuning in to the Michigan Business Network. I'm Vic Vershero and so glad you joined us today and really glad to have with us Brent Taylor. He is the president and CEO of Habitat for Humanity, the capital region. So Brent, welcome to our show. We're glad you joined us. Thanks, Vic. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, well, we met a while ago, but I was so intrigued by Habitat. I got to tell you, in my former life, I've been involved with Habitat. I love the concept of people lifting themselves up by their own bootstraps and finding a way to live the American dream of having their own home. And you kind of do that. So as president and CEO of the organization, tell me a little bit about your daily role and kind of the elevator speech of what it is and what you do. You know, as far as what Habitat does, of course, you know, we are creating home ownership opportunities throughout the capital region here as well as you know, a repair program that we have that allows people who are already in their homes to uh, you know stay in a safe and healthy and accessible home because we also do accessibility ramps, again, throughout the community for people that have issues getting in and out of their homes safely. So it's really all about making sure that, you know, again, as you said, people have the opportunity to achieve that dream of home ownership. And once they have it, that they can be stable and healthy and safe in those homes. Yeah. As far as my role, my role is to... More than anything, to make sure everybody else here on the staff has all the resources that they need to do their jobs as well as possible, you know, and kind of getting out in the community and making connections and finding those opportunities to partner with businesses, the other nonprofits that have similar missions. And really just kind of connect what we do here at Habitat to the greater capital region. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And of course, there's so many good things going on there. And you already scratched the surface of a couple of things I didn't know about, which is the repair and accessibility. But let's get into Habitat a little bit later. I want to hear a little bit about your world. So tell me, are you a native Lansing person? Did you grow up in central Michigan? I did. I actually grew up in East Lansing, very, very deep roots in the MSU community. My dad was a professor there for 40-some years. I'm an MSU alum as well, so moved in and out of the area a number of times over the years, but it's always been home for me. Yeah, it looks like this one's going to stick, too, because it's a pretty important role that you have. So in the early years, you went to school. What was your degree in? I actually went to school for what's now called supply chain. At the time, it was called logistics management. Wow. Uh, MSU's always had a strong program in that area and graduated in logistics and spent the first about 13 years of my career working in that field in sort of a large consumer goods manufacturing type of setting before I moved on to some other things not very related to supply chain at all. (laughs) Well, that happens so many times to our young graduates. They take up a degree and sometimes it's something that was interesting at the time but never really materializes as a career. So I've always said too, Brent, you know, uh, those young people that know what they want to be at a young age and they just double down on it, really make an effort out of it, and they focus all their energy on it. They end up way ahead of people like me who kind of bang off the walls along the way and find their way as we we go. And I totally get the idea that sometimes things don't always go as planned. So when you came out of school, what was the first thing you did? So first thing I did, I went to work for Kimberly Clark Corporation, which is again, a large consumer goods company, Kleenex, Huggies, Diapers, and some pretty iconic brands and moved around the country a little bit, but all within the sort of corporate logistics function for Kimberly Clark. And I spent about 13 years there. And again, although I reached a point where I decided that the corporate world wasn't necessarily my calling, certainly wouldn't trade the experiences and the things I learned and carried forward from that part of my career because it certainly was a great learning experience. Well, you know, understanding one, how a large company like that, you know, yeah. how people interact and teams work together. Well, that's where exactly where I was going, Brent, is it seems like in those larger organizations, there is a chain of command and there is a team effort and all these different things. So working with a big organization and now working today in a much smaller and nonprofit sector, night and day, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that you learn a lot about organizational dynamics in a big company, but I think in the long run, the thing that didn't really speak to me is it can be hard in a global company with tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of employees to really understand how is you know what I do day to day in my cubicle or at my desk really contributing to meeting the objectives of the company and serving the customers of the company. And so for me, working for a small organization, one of the things that I love most about it is sort of that ability to directly connect myself and connect everybody on my team to, you know, the mission and the outcomes that we're achieving and the good that we're doing in the community. Yeah. Well, you know, you just said something that really, I think, piqued everybody's interest in terms of trying to get the team all on the same page. That's not an easy task, is it? No, it's not. Because like I said, you know, you have people that are more directly related in their roles to the programs, and it can be a little bit easier sort of to see, okay, how am I making an impact on the lives of the people that we're serving? But as you get sort of further into some of the administrative roles or, you know, a little bit less of a direct connect to the programs, you know, that's a little bit harder to do. And so that constant process of making sure everybody understands that whatever it is you do here, it is leading to the outcomes that we're achieving and the difference that we're making in people's lives. That's a big part of what I try to do in my role. Well, I remember in school, sometimes, you know, they have you do these team efforts and team programs and different things. And I just think it's so much different between a student team environment versus a professional team, especially for a large organization such as the one that you started for. But man, there's so many questions I have for you, Brent. I'm so glad you're here and have joined us right here on the Michigan Business Network. This is the Leadership Lowdown. I'm Vic Versor. We'll be right back. Sinair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sinair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sinair.com. Thanks for tuning in to Leadership Lowdown right here on the Michigan Business Network. I am so grateful to have with me Brent Taylor, who is the president and CEO of Habitat for Humanity, the capital region right here in the greater mid-Michigan area. And so, Brent, I'm loving kind of some of your background. I love the fact you're an MSU guy, but also loves kind of how you launched into a large significant size company, but what was the next chapter? Did you leave there because you were looking for more, or what happened? You know, moved on from my corporate career, partly, you know, because some of the things I mentioned that I just, it was hard for me sort of at some point to really connect myself to, you know, what I was contributing in a setting like that, and so I went from there into actually an entrepreneurial endeavor, opened a retail business right here in the Lansing area. We were actually one of the original tenants at the Eastwood Town Center with the, um, children's toys, books, sort of educational toy business called Treehouse Toys and Books that we opened back in 2002. And interesting, I kind of stepped off the corporate ladder to do more of a mom and pop thing. And then, you know, fast forward about six years down the road, we were getting approached about opening 
new locations, but didn't really have that bandwidth, so we decided to franchise the concept. And within the next six or seven years, we had sold about 17 franchises across the country from Arizona and Texas all the way over the North Carolina coast. And so what started as a very small endeavor turned <laughs> into a very large endeavor. I guess. Um, that's so cool. Well, and so in something like that, why did it make sense to go into the children's books and toys? You know, I think at the time there really wasn't a whole lot in that area, you know, here in the Lansing area, in that market, I should say. And so it seemed like there was an opportunity for the concept. And our concept was larger stores than the typical independent toy store, kind of low sight lines, a lot of interactive experiences so parents could shop while the kids, uh, you know, were able to play and experience within the store. And of course, that coincided with, you know, kind of they were breaking ground on Eastwood Town Center, which was a very novel, you know, concept for this market at the time. And just kind of everything sort of fit together. It was an opportunity for, I was living in Tennessee at the time, opportunity to get back to my hometown. And I had young kids at the time, so it was a business that fit very well with the lifestyle as well. And so everything just kind of fell into place, and it seemed like the right time to take that leap. Well, I love it. And you know, Brett, what I get excited about it is, I'm going to use the word courageous. To me, it seems like, you know, leaving a pretty successful entity in terms of Kimberly Clark and then moving into your own unknown, coming back home, which I guess was a little bit of a safety net. But my gosh, that's pretty courageous. Tell me, was that pretty nerve wracking in those days? (laughs) Yeah, you know, there's certainly no shortage of risk when you jump into something (laughs) entrepreneurial. I think for me, the kind of the formula was having a passion for it. And then, you know, it's all about preparation, right? So you do your homework, you make sure your concept is sound, you reach out and do as much research and touch as many bases as you can for people in that industry and really kind of get to the point where you've considered your risks, you know, you've considered your contingencies and you have confidence in your plan. And that's not a guarantee, certainly, but certainly, you know, sort of is the thing that made me feel good enough about it to take that leap. Well, and some of our listening audiences are thinking, man, I want to have my own business just like that. You know, interesting enough, you're not only president, founder, CEO, but head janitor, accountant. And a stock boy, right? I mean, isn't that what happens when you start out something like this? Absolutely. And that, you know, to me is one of the great, most valuable things about that experience. And, you know, that I was able to carry forward is that there's no hiding from anything. You know, you're <laughs> kind of the buck stops here sort of person. And like you said, whatever needs to be done on a given day or a given moment, you step up and do it. And so that experience was really helpful as I continued to work in smaller organizations moving forward from there, you know, really understanding, you know, I don't ask people to do things that I'm not willing to do myself kind of thing. You have to do what needs to be done. Let me ask you this. Do you find one of the things that when I talk to entrepreneurs, I think some of them have been driven because I just don't want a boss and I want to be free and make my own decisions and everything else. But when you're in your own business, is it really true that you don't have a boss? Because aren't there dozens of different entities that you have to answer to along the way? Yeah, I would say it's a little bit of both. I mean, you certainly have, you know, your customers, obviously, are always come first. So you have that. You have your vendors that, I don't know if they're your boss, but they're certainly someone that you owe a debt to, literally. And then, of course, you have a team, a staff. And so you certainly have an obligation to them as well. So, yeah, it's a little different. You don't have a boss in the sense that when you get into a tricky situation or something you're not familiar with, there isn't necessarily anyone to go to for direction and guidance, and you kind of got to figure things out. But you certainly aren't making decisions in a vacuum by any means. Yeah, and I would think in your world, doing something like this, there had to be some influential mentors along the way. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are like I said, people that I've met, my individual that was my boss for most of my years in the corporate world, that, you know, was really a solid individual, you know, kind of really taught me lessons about, you know, always stepping back. And as cliche as it sounds, when you have a decision to make, you know, make sure you really believe that, you know, you're doing the right thing, right? And the decision isn't guided by some objective other than doing what's right, you know, for the people around you, for the organization you work for. And so that was certainly something that I carried forward into my entrepreneurial life. I think we need to talk about mentors here in this next segment because I think there's a lot of things that can happen to somebody like you that's now in a leadership position looking back over a career of people that have made a difference just like you're making a difference today. And you're making a difference by tuning in and listening to the Leadership Lowdown right here on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Vic Versero. We'll be right back. The attorneys of Foster Swift, Collins & Smith offer legal counsel to businesses, families, individuals, and municipalities throughout Michigan with offices in Lansing, Farmington Hills, Grand Rapids, Detroit, Marquette, and Holland. Clients know they can count on Foster Swift for all their legal needs, from straightforward wills to sophisticated business transactions and complex litigation. Learn more about Foster Swift and how they can assist you at fosterswift.com. You've tuned in to the Michigan Business Network, and right here you found the Leadership Lowdown, and I'm Vic Verschereau, your humble host. So grateful to meet so many interesting and extraordinary business people throughout Michigan. And today we have with us Brent Taylor. He's president and CEO of Habitat for Humanity, the capital region. And in the last segment, we were wrapping up talking about mentors, and we had to run to break. But I have to ask you, Brent, as we think about mentors, I have a big belief that no one does it alone. Even some of the best salespeople that I've heard along the way that I had to train myself and all this other stuff. The truth of the matter is there's some pretty great people that have had a hand in their life. Are there some other folks that you can think of in your journey? Oh, absolutely. I can tell you for certain when I first left the toy business and got involved in nonprofit work, I worked for Origami Brain Injury Rehabilitation right here out in Mason. And the CEO of Origami, Tammy Hanna, is just absolutely the finest natural leader that I've ever had the opportunity to work with. And only worked there for about a year, but the number of leadership lessons that I learned from Tammy and the example that she set for me as a leader has absolutely been the key to whatever success I've enjoyed in the nonprofit world. Just a really humble, impressive, confident, visionary leader that was a true pleasure to work with. So you had some interesting business experience. And what you just shared with me is this is probably a nonprofit state that you just mentioned, Tammy, as a mentor for you? Yeah. So Origami Rehab is a nonprofit. First nonprofit that I 
had the opportunity to work for it as I left the retail business. So what I wanted just to stand on that point just for a second, Brett, because so many times I get people, go, well, they have a different spirit. They are got a different environment. That's a different world. And what you just did is you brought her into truly whatever. You said she was one of the best leaders that you'd ever encountered. And I think that's really interesting because that includes business and nonprofit. So share with me, are there some principles that you found that feel like they transcend all of those different ends of the world, whether you're making money or trying to work as a nonprofit? Yeah, absolutely. I think the number one thing that I saw in Tammy, and I'm absolutely convinced myself that is the key to successful leadership, is to lead with humility, right? So, and I don't just mean, you know, kind of personal modesty, but I mean, Humility in the professional sense of you know, understanding that your job as a leader is to identify the greatest strengths in everyone on your team and make sure you are giving them an opportunity to play to those strengths in their roles. And it's a matter of, as leaders, being self-reflective enough to say, okay, what can I be better at as a leader? What can this organization be better at? And how do we get there, right? And that takes a good dose of humility to step back and say, hey, as a leader, I don't have to be the one who makes every decision. I don't have to be the one who knows the most about everything that we do. What I have to be is the one that can create this team that performs at absolutely as high a level as it possibly can. And that's not all about me. In fact, it's less about me than it is about everyone else around me. Brent, that's just huge. And one of the things that I think is so illuminating about what you just shared is that so many times nonprofits and all the time for-profit entities have trouble keeping staff. But the recipe you just talked about really strikes me as a tremendous staff retention methodology because I think what you're sharing is that, look, I want people to shine where they feel the most comfortable and whatever their strengths are to really unearth those strengths and let them really be all they can be, not to steal a phrase. But honestly, that's exciting from what I just heard. Don't you find that helps in so many different aspects of running an organization? I really do. And I'm a big believer that everybody in an organization should feel three things at all time, right? They should feel appreciated. They should feel like they're being able to use their greatest strengths to do their job. And they should feel like they're growing as a professional and a human being. And if you can get everybody on your team feeling all three of those things all the time, that's when an organization just really starts to hum. And so wow. that's what I'm always pushing for. I'm making notes here, Brent. This is just some fantastic stuff because one of the things I think that is important is everybody talks about the cause and the mission and all that kind of stuff. And you can have a fantastic cause, great mission, but if you don't have staff and volunteers that are appreciated and you're not putting them in a position where they can truly shine and giving them a chance to grow as a person, you're missing the boat. And it doesn't matter how many great things your organization is set up to do, you won't be able to do it because you don't have the right people there, right? Everything starts and ends with the people, for sure, Vic. I mean, the dollars and the mission and all those things are important. But like you just said, if you, if you don't have the right people and if you can't retain those people and keep them feeling good about what they're doing in the organization, it will always be a struggle. And so that's always primary focus, uh, you know, is to come into an organization and really get to know your people, get to know what makes them tick and help them achieve the things they want to achieve through their career. Yeah. And boy, you know, I'm going to bump up against another break here, but there's so many questions I have for you about how do you show appreciation? How do you let them grow? There's got to be times when you have to let them make mistakes, right, Brent? Absolutely. You know, you can't and don't want to, obviously, nobody wants to be micromanaged or be a micromanager. So you have to have trust. You know, trust is a key and we all make mistakes. And so you have to 
know that those things are okay and learn from them. Yeah, I like to tell everybody, just if you want to see mistakes, just follow me around with a camera. You'll find plenty. And, you know, <laughs> and yet so many times we're all looking for perfection, but we're all got to admit, man, every single one of us have failings that we just have to pick up and go on. So, man, Brent, I'm just so grateful for your time today. So grateful you tuned in to the Leadership Lowdown right here on the Michigan Business Network. We're going to take a commercial break and we'll be right back. today or go to laughq.com slash home equity laughq your credit union for life thanks for tuning in we're thankful for brent taylor president and ceo of habitat for humanity capital region he's joined us right here on the michigan business network and we're going to have a little bit of fun too as we talk forward about some of the last segment information about how he was doing in making people feel fulfilled in their career, especially as a nonprofit, where sometimes nonprofits just can't compete financially with some of the other for-profit entities that are out there in the world. And right now we're all looking for talent. So I wanted to loop back to this, Brent, and talk about appreciating your staff. So tell me, what does that look like from the president and CEO standpoint? You know, I think that also kind of comes back to the humility thing in that, you know, as a leader, I think part of making people feel appreciated, of course, is just exactly what it sounds like, right? Being appreciative, thanking people, highlighting the good things that they're doing, not only back to them, but to others in the organization. So people are getting some recognition. But I think it also, you know, kind of requires authenticity. And I know that word can be a little overused these days, but I think for people to really understand that they are appreciated, I think they need to feel listened to and they need to feel respected and they need to see me, everyone within the organization, all the leaders on the leadership team being authentic and sharing. You know, hey, we make mistakes too and we there are things we worry about and things that we haven't figured out yet and all those things. And I think that makes people feel appreciated in the sense that it makes them feel comfortable that they don't have to have all the answers. They don't have to be perfect. What they have to do is their best to move the organization forward. Yeah. You know, we've talked about catching people doing something right. And I think that sometimes the most underappreciated people are sometimes the hardest working doers inside of an organization. And when things are set up on time and they're done well, and, you know, it's always good to point out sometimes the most obvious and insignificant things in the path because everybody sees the mistakes, it seems like, but not everybody catches it when it goes right. Conversations in my role, oftentimes, you know, someone on the team may come to me and say, hey, you know, what do we think we should do about this? And oftentimes, the first thing I'll say is, tell me what you think we should do, right? Because that not only conveys trust, but to me, that conveys appreciation in the sense that 
I appreciate your expertise as a member of this team. I appreciate that you know things that I don't, and you have a perspective that I don't. And so you tell me where you think you know we should go, and let's make this a collaborative process of coming up with an answer, and not just me coming up with an answer. So I think that's critical to keeping people feeling trusted and appreciated. Brent, I just love that. At one point in time, I took over a pretty big leadership role, and I walked into my first staff meeting. Everybody sat there quietly in the room with their pens up, notepads out waiting for me to speak brilliance. And I'm like, all right, we got it all wrong here, folks. If I'm the smartest guy in the room, this whole place is in big trouble. What we're looking for here is we're looking for collaboration. Does everybody get that? So whoever has an opinion, it's valued and you need to speak up and share it. And I just thought it was important to make sure people understand that there's that kind of openness to do something like that. But again, I don't want to ramble on too much here, but I want to ask you real quick about people's strengths. Marcus Buckingham has an amazing book called Now Discover Your Strengths. And I really have a lot of good experience with that. But tell me, when you're in an entity like this, how do you help people discover their strengths, what they're really good at? Do you have any methodologies there? Yeah, not to belabor it, but I think a lot of that comes back to trust too, right? So as people see that leadership in the organization trust them to handle certain things, to make certain decisions, to you know take the organization in a certain direction within, you know, the area that they work in. You know, I think that helps people understand, okay, I must know what I'm doing. I must be good at this because people are putting trust in me and letting me make those decisions. And so I think that's part of it. And then not just in sort of an annual performance discussion or review type setting, but in an ongoing setting of, you know, having one-on-ones with people and talking about what's going on and highlighting those things that are working very well and how that individual engineered those results or contributed those results to the things that they do well. You know, most people are acutely aware of, you know, maybe their weaknesses or the things that they don't think they're very good at, but are much less likely to acknowledge themselves in those areas of strength. And so, you know, again, a big part of my role is helping them with that acknowledgement. Well, I think that answer really answers the third leg of this whole thing, which is personal growth, helping them grow. You're asking questions in a very gracious way. How do they feel about it? What are their thoughts? And that a couple things. One, values what they're thinking. And number two, requires them to think and bring you solutions along the way rather than just problems. And I think that's a technique. Did you see that technique modeled in some other experiences in your career? I did in, in a few. You know, I mentioned my experience at Origami working with Tammy Hanna, and that was certainly part of it because I think, you know, what really happened there, I came into that organization with, you know, 25 years of work experience, but no experience in nonprofit, no experience in brain injury. And yet, you know, Tammy did a great job of sort of immediately identifying, you know, what were things that I knew and the strengths that I brought to the organization that I could add value, right? And again, it wasn't about her knowing everything. It was about her leaning on me for maybe what I knew that other people in the organization did. And so I've always tried to model that and really help people, you know, really identify those strengths and lean on them. And I also like to routinely ask people, you know, what is something that you're not currently doing in this organization Mm. that maybe you'd like to be doing, whether it's something that someone else is doing or that we're not doing at all? You know, how can I help you to grow into something that would be, you know, fulfilling for you as an individual? So Uh, I think asking those types of questions. I love it, Brent. I love the time we've had together right here so far on Leadership Lowdown. There's so much more to come. We thank you for tuning in to the Michigan Business Network, and we'll be right back after these messages.
perfectly managed meetings, carefully planned conferences, and beautiful beginnings. That's what you'll find at Treetops Resort. We have an ideal location just minutes from I-75 and over 25,000 square feet of meeting and convention space. No matter what you're planning, let our spectacular views, spacious lodging, and outstanding customer service show you why Treetops is Michigan's most spectacular resort. Get a no-hassle quote for your next meeting at treetops.com or call at 888-TREETOPS. I've got Brent Taylor right here. He's the president and CEO of Habitat for Humanity Capital Region. You found the Leadership Lowdown, and we found Brent. We're so glad to have his time here on Leadership Lowdown and on the Michigan Business Network. So, Brent, in our last segment, you know, we've talked a lot about how you manage people and some of the things you've learned along the way. And let's all face it, we're all learning every day, I hope. And so some of these things are challenges that are beyond just staff. They're environmental and things that are going on in the economy, that kind of stuff. And so as the head of a nonprofit and an important one at that, tell me how you find in today's world to navigate and how you holding up. You know, we're doing real well, but it's definitely a challenging time for nonprofits in general. You know, obviously it's been a challenging time for the globe in the last couple of years with the pandemic and everything else. But, you know, specific to Habitat, you know, we're in a situation where, you know, construction materials are more expensive than they've ever been. Construction labor is at a premium. Real estate values, of course, you know, have skyrocketed over the last few years. And so, you know, that gap between, you know, what it costs us to build or rehab a home here in the community and, you know, what our low and moderate income home buyers can afford, that gap is larger than ever. And so really kind of bridging that gap through fundraising, through partnerships, through sort of responsible, you know, strategic moves as far as how we build and rehab and when, you know, those are all things that we're facing really to try to make sure that that gap doesn't become something that prevents us from meeting the mission and prevents us from creating those home ownership opportunities here in the community. Well, and so sometimes those challenges, you know, you just don't have easy solutions to those, especially, you know, you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have workers to help get that done, that becomes a bit of a challenge. So tell me a little bit about early on in this interview or in our discussion, we talked about you have this business ownership opportunity, then you have the repairs on maybe homes that are in trouble. I might be putting words in your mouth there, but then the other one is accessibility for people that might need a helping hand because their medical situation has changed. So tell me about, of those three, all of those require skilled labor to help lead your volunteers. Isn't that a fair statement? That is. And so we use a combination of things. We have a fantastic construction staff here at Habitat, so that the folks that work directly on the construction end are just really passionate, skilled people who really know what they're doing. So that certainly is the starting point. But we use subcontractors on some things, and then, of course, we use volunteers. And that's one of the key parts of the Habitat model is, you know, finding both uh, volunteers that have some construction skills that can do things at a little higher level, and then engaging those members of the community that maybe don't have any construction experience but really want to be a part of what we're doing. And that requires having some experienced folks that can sort of teach those skills and oversee and keep people safe and productive. And so it all fits together in helping us get out there and do the building that we need to do to be successful. Yeah. So my experience with Habitat was that we were building new homes in a small little community. But I think this repair thing and the accessibility issue is a little bit different for me. So take me through that. If Do I get referred if I have a home in disrepair or is that something I need to be aware of to apply for? How does that work? 
community as much as we can to kind of spread the word through different community organizations and agencies and so forth about the programs that we have so as they, you know, meet individuals that maybe fit the criteria of what we're doing, they can refer them on to us. And then, of course, people hear about us or find us other ways, but it's basically there's an application process. So if I want to become a homeowner or if I own my home, but I have some repairs that I'm not able to afford to do, and that's becoming an issue for me, or again, if I have an accessibility issue, you know, we have an application process where we're evaluating folks on the level of their income and what it is that needs to be done in terms of repairs and so forth with their home and sort of involve them in the process through what we call sweat equity. So having them contribute to the organization through volunteerism. So it all kind of comes full circle. And again, in the Lansing area, we certainly want to continue to create home ownership opportunities, but we have a lot of homes in this market that really need to be rehabbed and kept up. And Someone may have at one point been able to purchase a home, but maybe something's changed and they're not able to keep the home up to a real safe and healthy standard. And so we want to be able to contribute there as well. Well, I love the notion of sweat equity in this whole thing because it feels like whatever's free, it's valued by people in that same amount. And so sometimes when I see sweat equity, it gets me excited because I think, well, this is good. We're meeting you on a road halfway on your path. You know, you're coming our way. We're coming your way. Help is on the way. It's not hopeless. And by your efforts and ours, we can do some amazing things. I think that's kind of the message of Habitat. But tell me about these accessibility situations because that may not be easy. Right. So we built about 30 ramps in this past fiscal year. A new fiscal year just started here on July 1st. And we're looking to build a target is 36 for the coming year, right? So, you know, you have folks that are in their homes that, you know, as you said, through some sort of medical situation or age or whatever it is, you know, maybe lose that ability to go up and down steps, you know, to get in and out of their apartment or excuse me, their home. And that can mean the difference between, you know, being able to get to medical appointments, being able to pick up prescriptions, being able to get to the grocery store and so forth. And so really the freedom that goes with being able to come and go safely from your home is not only sort of a dignity thing, but it also is a very real issue in yeah. terms of making sure that people can care for their health. Sure, it takes on a new meaning. Well, hey, thanks so much, Brent, for being with us. We're going to have one last segment with you, and uh, we're going to go take a commercial break real quick and come right back here on the Michigan Business Network. This is the Leadership Lowdown. Thanks for tuning in. Physicians Health Plan is local. For 35 years, we've been a part of your community, and we take pride in helping you get the coverage, care, and personal service you deserve. Go to phpmichigan.com for more information. We're the health plan that works for you. This is Vic Bercero. We're right here with Brent Taylor, President and CEO of Habitat for Humanity Capital Region. We've got one small segment left here on the Leadership Lowdown, and Brent and I were talking about off-air about how quickly these six-minute segments go. So I want to, Brent, just have a chance to talk to everybody about what it is and the challenges that you face as CEO of Capital City Habitat for Humanity. What are some of the biggest issues? Is it money? Is it volunteers? Is it homes to help build on? You know, 
know it is all of the above, Vic, as you can imagine. So in terms of volunteerism, I've worked for a number of nonprofits, all of whom utilized volunteers, but none where the volunteers were such an integral part of actually fulfilling the mission, right? So we've got our volunteers out there on construction sites here in the restores that I'll mention in a moment here in the office. And so always looking for people that are passionate about what we do and would like to contribute on a volunteer basis. You know, funding, funding's always a challenge. It's just the reality of nonprofit work, right? And so folks who want to be involved in terms of donating, in terms of helping us raise funds, getting involved in some of our events, there's opportunities there. We have our two restores, one here in Lansing, one in Williamston, where folks can donate new and gently used appliances and home goods and furniture. And all the proceeds from the sale of those things goes, you know, to fund the mission, but also shopping in our restores. So, you know, if a person's doing some remodeling or needs some furniture, whatever it might be, come into the restores and everything you buy here, again, every penny you spend is going to make sure we're continuing to do good in the community. So, Brent, to help with pickup on furniture and appliances? We do. We actually have free pickups four days a week. We're out picking stuff up from throughout the community. Wow. I'm certainly willing to accept donations, you know, to help offset some of the costs of gas and everything else that it takes to pick things up, but yeah. no charge for the pickups. Oh, that's neat. That's really great. Well, tell me about volunteers. Are you getting your share? Yeah, you know, we've got a great group of what we call core volunteers that are folks that we see, you know, daily, weekly, monthly. They're helping with the mission. And then, of course, get contacted frequently by church groups, you know, companies that have a group of employees that they want to encourage to get out and do some stuff. And so we're always creating opportunities for those sorts of, you know, groups to come in and do some, you know, one-time type projects, whether that be, we had a group out last week that was helping paint and spruce up the front of our building here and all those sorts of things that need to be done, but we don't necessarily have the bandwidth with the staff. Those are all things that we encourage and welcome volunteers to come help us with. So Brent, tell me about fundraising. You rely on a single one-time-a-year major event. You have a bunch of little ones. How does that work for you guys? We try to keep it as diverse as possible, right? So we're working with, there's some grantors in and around the region that we work with. We've got, obviously, lots of individual donors. We have an annual golf event that we do that's coming up in August, on August 19th. Still looking for some teams for that event. So, you know, kind of a little bit of everything. And increasingly, one of the things we're really focused on is sort of cause marketing. So getting out with local companies, helping them to not only grow their businesses, but meet their social responsibility goals by sort of co-promoting things. So whether that's every widget we sell, we give a dollar to Habitat or whatever it is, that's oh, yeah. really a win for everybody. And so we're really keenly interested in companies that would like to get into that sort of You can get some pretty good dollars going that way, I would think, depending on the transaction levels. I know it seems like in so many places, round up your change for this or that or whatever, or would you like to give a dollar today at a McDonald's or something, you know, and well, sure, you know, and it's just kind of a neat way to keep it in front of everybody. And it also, if nothing else, even if it's a no, it's a fact that you're out in the community asking and being relevant. Tell me about the golfers. I bet there's some that are listening to us right now. Tell me about your golf outing that's coming in August. So like I said, that's August 19th. It's called the Home in One Golf Outing. We've got a fantastic group of sponsors for the event, but, you know, looking for more sponsors. And like I said, still have a few team spots open. And that's, you know, kind of a great golf event. And, you know, there's games and prizes along the way, obviously, and some food involved, which is always important. And so, you know, you just cross your fingers for great weather. And it's at Forest Acres, so nice course oh, yeah. for folks that like golf. Definitely would love to have anybody who's interested come out and put a team together and join us. Oh, I love that. I love that. So when you think about your board of directors, you've got a board of directors are pretty dedicated people. They have terms. And are you looking for new board members from time to time? You know, I would say 
ongoing. So yes, there are term limits. We have just an absolutely fantastic, passionate, well-connected board. Can't say enough about the folks that are on their board now, but of course, they transition off sort of every year. There's some that are finishing their second term and moving on. So continually looking for folks in the community that not only have a passion for what we do, but have you know, sort of that connectivity and expertise in the community where they can really help us again with exposure and raising funds and all the other things we need to do to be viable and successful. So, so Brent, so, how do we get a hold of you guys to sign up for the golf or to volunteer or to make a donation? Tell me, what's the best way to do it? Absolutely. You can always reach us by phone here in the Lansing office. It's 517-374-1313. Website is habitatcr.org. You can always reach us through the website as well, as well as get you know, kind of more information about what's going on in the organization. And we'd love to hear from anybody who wants to learn more about what we're doing. Well, Brent, you are an incredible ambassador for the Habitat for Humanity cause. Your leadership is just evident as we talk today. I'm so grateful. Just thanks for your time. I really appreciate not only your time today, but also for what you're doing in the community. My pleasure, Vic. I appreciate you having me on. And I'm always glad to talk about the great things happening here at Habitat. You bet. Always rooting for Habitat for Humanity. And we're certainly grateful for Brent Taylor, President and CEO. Thanks for tuning in to Leadership Lowdown. This is the Michigan Business Network. I'm Vic Vershero. Can't wait to talk to you next time. Yeah.